So when we run into the problems of life, you know the problems of life? When we hit the sharp pain of human hopelessness, we tend to swing on a pendulum. And on that pendulum, we can go back and forth between human pride and despair. We have the slides, here we go, here's my pendulum. We can swing back and forth between pride and despair in response to the stuff that we face in life. So sometimes we swing toward inordinate pride. And that's the thought, like things are so bad. Things are so out of control. Things are so horrible. Then I got to figure it out myself. Right? It's the idea and the thought we believe. Man, it's all on us. Like I got to do something. I got to make things happen because it looks like nobody else will. At times we're there, right? We see a situation like, well, I guess I got to do it again. It's all on me. Pride. Sometimes, though, when life kicks us in the teeth, we don't have that response. Instead, we move to despair, deep despair, and we begin to feel helpless or hopeless, overwhelmed. Sometimes we get convinced that no matter what we think or what we do, it doesn't matter. Nothing will change anything. It makes no difference. And so we just throw our hands up in despair. And maybe it's my temperament, but I think I often move to that, at least recently, I've I've moved to this side of things more often in despair. And so I often feel that way when I scroll through Twitter. I'm like, geez, right? Another shooting, another episode of police brutality, another teen suicide, another act of evil in our world. He's just like, why do I even go on this thing? It feels hopeless. It feels overwhelming. It feels like life is just falling apart. It feels like nothing matters. So again, so we can bounce back and forth between these things, sometimes even on the same day, pride and despair. And I actually think that the forces that be, and just a reminder that we do live in a world where there are unseen evil, Right, the scripture says that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Our only battle isn't just with people and things. I think the forces that be love for us to move into pride or to fall flat in despair. But there is something in this world that, that breaks down, that kind of cuts through that response or that manufactured conclusion that either it's all on me to do this or who cares, forget it, there's no hope, there's no help. There's one thing that actually stands against the sharp pain of human hopelessness and it is actually the very word of God. The word of God. What is it that Jesus says in Matthew 4, 4, that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes or proceeds from the mouth of God. I love bread. Believe me, I love bread. Pastries are my weakness. But for us to live, we need the words that come from God. Might I interest you this morning in a God who speaks? 
might I interest you this morning in knowing the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So if you have a Bible, open up to Genesis chapter 12. I will be putting some of these on the screen if you want to follow along today. Uh, But we're currently in this new series that we started in January called The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And some of you are like, yeah, I know exactly who that is. I know about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. I've heard the stories in Sunday school. For others of you, this may be a new uh, introduction to new people. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but we've been pointing out how these ancient stories actually help us, even though they were written and lived thousands of years ago. These people actually have something shared with us in their story and our story, and I would say that actually in learning from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we actually discover something about how to be followers of Jesus in our own secular age. Because their journey, though separated, yes, by time and culture and so many things, but their journey actually looks a lot like our journey, too. And the things that they discover about God help reveal a lot for us to figure out, who is this God, actually? Who is God? Who am I? What does it look like for me to live? We discover the same God meeting us, offering himself to us again afresh today. There's a scholar, Sandra Richter. She says, in our current age, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are unknown and unnamed. And the end result is the church does not know who she is because she does not know who she was. So there's a danger for us to forget about the men and women that have walked before us to teach us the way of faith. We forget who they are We forget who we are, too. So last week, we looked at this story, the early Abram story. Last week, we talked about the idea of there's a God who intervenes. There's a God who intervenes in our idolatry. There's a God who intervenes in our barrenness. There's a God who intervenes in our settling. Uh, So this week, we're going to continue on looking Genesis chapter 12. So from this story, from the silence, from the chaos, there's human sin, rebellion. Uh, Today, we're going to talk about this idea of a God who speaks. A God who speaks. So this is Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. It says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So we've mentioned this in the last few weeks, that as we come to Genesis 12, this becomes a huge like pivot, a huge hinge point in the story of Genesis, but also in the story, really, of the world. And God is beginning to, to do something here with this person, with this family, with these people that is distinct and different in his redemptive plan. So again, a little recap. Abram, this person we're talking about, he had been living in Mesopotamia. Flashback to high school class, Mesopotamia, the Fertile Crescent. He was living in this place called Ur of the Chaldees. He was living there with his father Terah, his nephew Lot, his wife Sarai, 
the end of chapter 11, we see them beginning to move from this area of Mesopotamia, and they move down a little bit closer to the promised land. Now, in the story, there's people dying, so this is not like a happy story. God calls them out of this place where they're worshiping other gods. One of Abram's brother dies. Now Abram's father, Terah, dies. And we're like, okay, well, maybe Abram's life will be better than all this death that's happening. And then we find out that Abram marries this woman named Sarai. And we're like, oh, great. Maybe this family, maybe this story is going to have some good things. And we're like, and Sarai is barren, and she's unable to have kids. So it's just like the story goes like from good to bad to worse. And people are dying, brothers dying, fathers dying. Oh, Abram marries a barren woman. How's this going to go? Where is this going? This family seems a little stuck. This family doesn't seem to be going anywhere. And this spiraling storyline of sin and death and barrenness and settling. But guess what? This is the good part of the story. God speaks. In the midst of people dying, in the midst of the barrenness, in the midst of things not really going according to plan, that's when God speaks. And frankly, my friends, I find that encouraging, that God speaks in the midst of death, that God speaks in the midst of barrenness, that God speaks in the midst of the time when the wheels fall off the cart. In fact, some people have said, this is a Walter Brueggemann quote. Next slide. He says, the barrenness is the arena of God's life-giving action. Sometimes this is where God speaks best. When there's nothing else happening. When things have fallen apart. When you don't have any hope. When you don't have any anticipation of life. God speaks. Maybe you're experiencing that kind of a season right now in your life that I would say maybe you are ripe for God to speak a new word to you. And this is what Abram needs. This is what we need. We need the creative, powerful, life-giving activity that springs forth that issues from God's word who speaks. Right now, I think our world needs a word from God. I know right now my life needs a word from God. What is he saying? Not just, it's all on you, be a hero, figure it out, or despair, it's hopeless. What is God saying? We need the life-giving power of a word from God. So that's what I want to talk about today as we trace this early part of the Abram story. If God speaks, then what is he saying? What does he say to Abram? What is his word? What would God say to people? Three things. First thing, we find a God who speaks declaring to Abram a word of challenge. Challenge. So this is the first verse, Genesis 12, 1. It says, now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. 
So the first words in the Abram story, we don't get a hello, we don't get a hi, we don't get a how are you, we don't get the casual introduction. The first word that God speaks to this person, Abram, is go. Go. It's a command. He says, I want you to go from your country. Go to the next slide. I want you to go from your country. That word Eretz means land. I want you to go from the land that you're familiar with. I want you to go from your kindred. I want you to go from your father's house. So basically, this is God's way of saying to Abram, I want you to leave every natural, cultural support that you have. We've mentioned this over the last few weeks, this this society, these stories, they take place in a patriarchal tribal culture. So the family unit was everything. Like if you wanted to live, you stayed close to your father's house. The father's house was how you found food. It was work, it was home, it was social. It It was everything. It was how life functioned. It was how the economy functioned. The father's house was the relational, social, economic framework for life. As some people have noted, the father's house was your social network. The father's house was your ancient health care. The father's house was your ancient life insurance. Apart from the father's house, like you don't survive. That's how you gain everything in your life was through the father's house. So as you hear God's call to Abram, you gotta really understand, there's some gravity to the words that he's saying. He's like, I want you to leave pretty much everything you know, your land, your kindred, your father's house, and I want you to go to the place that I'm gonna show you. This is not just God saying, I want you to have an adventure. I want you to travel more. I want you to just have find, find your spark. Now this is his call for him to go in a life-altering way to leave pretty much everyone and everything that he knows and maybe more specifically he trusts in. This call from God, this word from God is, speaks directly to ultimate trust. Who will Abram obey? Who does Abram trust? Who has his ultimate loyalty? It's a good question to ask, not just about Abram. Who do you trust? Who do you obey? Who has your ultimate loyalty? Something to pay attention to here. If you don't have a God who can speak a word of challenge to your life, then you don't really have a God. You have a genie. And so there's times when God engages our life and he speaks a word of challenge to us. And he really shakes the foundation of who we are to see who do you believe in? Who do you trust? Where do your allegiances lie? Another quote here. God's call is one to abandonment, renunciation, and relinquishment. 
It's a call for a dangerous departure from the presumed world of norms and security. The narrative knows that such departure from securities is the only way out of barrenness. And the whole of the Abrahamic narrative is premised on this seeming contradiction that to stay in safety is to remain barren and to leave in risk is to have hope. So God speaks this really risky word to Abram and says, I want you to go. I want you to leave. I want you to trust. In fact, if you stay where you are, you're going to remain in barrenness. But actually, if you risk enough to trust me above all else, that's the place where you find life and hope. It's a big call. It's a big word. And it puts Abram in this place of decision. A word of leaving. So we get back as the story starts. We get to this fundamental question that every human being has to answer. It's the essence of trust. Do you believe that God will give you what you need? I don't know. Do you believe that God will give you what you need or do you think that you have to make it happen for yourself? The God who speaks declares a word of challenge. So to Abram, he says, go. And that's not to say that to be obedient to God that everyone has to like leave your country and leave your... This is not prescriptive that you all have to leave now and go move to a different country. That's not what he's saying. It's what Abram did. But when it comes to this place of obedience and trust, a risky word of God to you, would you believe it? Would you trust him? Would you follow? Second part of this then, the God who speaks to Abram declares a word of authoritative generosity. That's a made-up phrase. I made that up myself. (laughs) Authoritative generosity. As you hear these words, you listen to God challenging Abram. Pay attention to the scales of responsibility here. Now, it's not accurate to say that it's one-sided, because it's not. There's partnership involved here between God and Abram. But as God begins to paint the picture for Abram's future, I want you to notice who carries the most freight Who carries the heaviest weights? Because if you begin to pay attention to the story in the text, you begin to emphatically realize that the work is God's. So God stands before Abram here, and he stands as an authority, authoritative. But he is so generous. It's, I call him the God of I will. Next slide. The God of I will. Verse one, God says to Abram, I will show you. God says, I will make you a great nation. Verse two, I will bless you. I will make your name great. I will bless and I will curse. So yes, Abram's being invited to go. He's being invited to obey. But there's this authority. God is saying, I am able. I have authority here, but I'm being so generous to you. I'm standing before your life as the generous host, and I will, I will, I will, I will. Repetition after repetition. Five times in the story, God says, I will. I'm going to show you. 
I'll provide for you. I'll make you a great name. I'll make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will curse those who curse you. I will, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. And in this moment when maybe Abram's tempted to go into hero mode of pride or the despair of hopelessness, he's reminded of there's this authoritative generosity of God who stands over his life and says, I see what you're facing. I know who you are. I have a greater plan for this life and story, and I will provide for you. I am the God who will. God is speaking. He will give direction. He will give a family. He will develop a nation. He will give blessing. He has the authority to do it and the generous character to back it up. God will. God gives. And it's important for us to understand this God. Lest we end up like all the other people in the story And again, if you will go back and read Genesis 1 through 11, I mentioned this last week, the storyline of Genesis 1 through 11, here's the human storyline. Scheming, grasping, and controlling. Human beings trying to be like, I've got to figure this out. So I'm gonna scheme my own way. I'm gonna grasp for things that may not be mine. And I'm gonna try and control my life story. Like this is Genesis back in the garden. God says, eat whatever you want, but don't eat of this one tree, the tree, the knowledge of good and evil. And Adam and Eve are left going, I think he's holding out on us. Did he really say in the serpent? Did he really say? God's word is challenged. God's character is challenged. And so they're left to scheme and grasp and control. And we've been doing it the same way ever since. I'm a little schemer. I have grown to do it in socially acceptable ways, but I scheme, and you do too. I grasp for things that I want. You do too. That's Genesis 3, Genesis 11. Right before the story, we get the the story of the Tower of Babel. And what did they do? God says, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. And they're like, I don't want to fill the earth. Let's stay here. Let's stay in one place. And we're going to make a tower really high. And we'll build a tower to the heavens. Why? What do they say? We want to make... Yeah, they said, we want, to make a, we want to make a great name for ourselves. That's why they don't want to spread out. We're going to stay here. We're going to ignore God's call. We're going to build a tower really high, really great, so that we can make a name for ourselves. Because we believe that if I'm going to have a great name, I've got to do it for myself. So we scheme. And we grasp. And we control. My friends... This is the way of the world. This is the way of Babylon. This is the way the human beings have been doing it for a really, really long time. And God engages Abram and says, hey, no, 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 no. There's a better way. There's a different way. You don't have to scheme. You don't have to grasp. You don't have to control. I will. I will do it for you. I do it far better than you do. Do you trust me? you trust me? 
I'll show you where you need to go. I will make a great nation. I will fulfill my promises. I will end up undoing all this mess that you have made through my great redemptive plan. It's into that environment. God speaks. I will, I will, I will. And in the midst of our grasping and scheming right now, you may feel like you've got to make a name for yourself. The God who made you again is speaking. Hey, I got a better way. Do you know who I am? Lastly, this God who speaks declares a word of blessing and promise. You begin to see God's ultimate intent here. Out of the mess of the world, God is looking to create an agent of blessing. That's what he's doing here. He's recruiting an agent of blessing. I will bless you so that through you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. He's looking for a new person to bless, just like he did with Adam and Eve. He blessed them to be a blessing, and it didn't go so well. And Noah, and it didn't go so well. He's trying again with a new Adam figure here in Abram. I'm gonna bless you. My intent is to bring blessing and salvation to the world. I'm gonna, what I intend in macro, I'm gonna start in micro with you and your family and through you will come this seed of promise and through you will come blessing to all the families. God chooses this one family to receive the ultimate gift that is meant for all of humanity. God's on a mission to recreate Eden. There's a lot of Eden language here, a land, a family, blessing, curses. But God is a God who blesses. We, we, don't, we don't use blessing language a lot in our culture. We say it when someone sneezes, we're like, bless you. Whatever that means. Stop sneezing. <laughs> we sit down sometimes to pray before a meal, and we're like, would you say the blessing? Man, but I don't think we understand the power of blessing and the power of a God who blesses. The Hebrew word is barak. It means to speak the favor and intention of God to someone. It's like when someone is blessed, the idea is may, may God's full blessing, may God's full intention be in you and over you. Not just stop sneezing which again reminds us of the struggle of blessing. We have been trained to believe that in this world, if I'm gonna ever experience blessing, I gotta do it for myself. I gotta find blessing myself. I gotta create fulfillment for ourselves. And yet in every facet of life here, this God is the one who promises blessing. I'm gonna bless you so that you may bless others. And through you, all the, he wants, God's intent is to bring his blessing to all the families of the earth. He never blesses for selfish reasons. He always blesses to be a conduit of blessing. When you stop and slow down this conversation with Abram, you see what a gift there is in all of this. God speaks. He interrupts this story that's headed really off the cliff and he interrupts the story of death and barrenness 
So I got a word for you. I'm going to challenge you. But my word for you is so that I may bring my authoritative generosity into your life. And my word for you is that I may bless you and bless others through you. I believe this is what God spoke to Abram. This is what God is still speaking today. In fact, it's interesting if you read the Apostle Paul later in the Bible, in the New Testament, he says that Abram received the gospel. Look at this. This is Galatians chapter 3, verse 7. He says, Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Got a lot of sons of Abraham in the room today. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. That's the story we just read. Paul says that God preached the gospel, the good news, to Abram beforehand in this. Abram receives the good news of God's plan to challenge, disrupt bring blessing and generosity. And it leaves Abram with a choice. What's Abram going to do? Maybe you've heard this story before, so maybe this is anticlimactic, but what does he do? He goes. Which again, you're like, yeah. Yeah, he just left his land and his family and his country and went. Like, a huge decision to make, but he does it. Look at this, verse 4, Genesis 12, 4. So Abram went. Three little words, a lot packed in there. He did it. He went. As the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him, and Abram was 75 years old. Can't teach an old dog new tricks. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran, and Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. And when they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. God's command back in verse 1 was very short. This is God's word of challenge, go. And then in verse 4, Abram's response is pretty short. It just says he went. Abram went. God speaks. Abram listens. God calls. Abram leaves. God challenges. Abram obeys. Abram, Sarai, Lot, all their stuff, all their junk, emptied out the storage unit, all their family, all their tribe in their extended network. They leave Haran, they leave the family, they leave to go to the land of Canaan. They go. My friends, we can make life really difficult sometimes. We can make Christianity really complex, all sorts of systems and all sorts of programs, all sorts of paradigms and strategies, all sorts of books and podcasts and things you've got to do. But when you like break it all down to its really simplest form, this journey of faith is actually really simple. Here's what you find. God speaks and he asks us to obey. 
One pastor, John Mark Comer, puts it this way. He says, to listen and obey is the single most important thing in the spiritual life. Listen. What is God saying to me? And then, like the even harder part, am I willing to do it? Am I willing to follow his lead? Even if it may cost high. Cost was high for Abram. And yet he says, you know what? I think that life is better lived following this God and stopping my life of doing it my own way. It's richer there. I don't mean to be simplistic, (laughs) but probably the single most important thing in this spiritual life is listening and obeying to God. And there are times I'm really lousy at that. You know why? Because I don't want to. (laughs) Because I want to do it my way. And I'm so thankful there's grace. What has God said? What is God saying? Do we trust him enough to listen and do what he says? Uh, The founder of YWAM, Youth with a Mission, his name's Lauren Cunningham. I once read his autobiography. He's got some really good advice. He says, if you have seemed to lost your way, go back to the last time that you knew the sharp, cutting edge of God's voice. And here's the question. Have you obeyed the last thing God told you to do? Because you're something like, God, what's wrong? God, God, what's your will? What should I do? It's like, have you done the last thing I told you to do? No. But I want something else. Give me a new word and give me a new direction. Like, have you done what I told you? Oh, let's get back to that thing. Sometimes we seem to stop and be like, oh yeah, I remember when God told me to do that? And I'm like, no, I don't want to do that. Like, maybe let's start there. That could be a good step. Because watch what happens in this story. I'm almost done. Don't worry, I'm almost done. Watch what happens in the story when Abram listens and he follows in faith and he obeys. Watch where it leads. This is verse 7, the end of this little section of the story. It says, And the Lord appeared to Abram, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the east and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. It's actually, uh, I wrapped the verse 6 kind of into the prior section. Go back, I'm going to read verse 6 to you too. When he first comes, it says, Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem, to the oak of Morah. So Abram leaves, he goes, and they end up in this land, and he ends up, yeah, he ends up in in Shechem, and he ends up at this oak tree. You're like, oh, that's nice. Abram finally found a place for some shade. But it's really interesting, this tree that he finds, the trees are really important throughout the biblical story. In fact, if you go back to the very beginning in the Garden of Eden, trees play an important part of the story. Not only the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but what, else, what are the trees in the garden? The tree of life. Yeah, the tree of life. Trees in the Bible have sacred significance. And he comes to this place, he comes to the land, he comes to this tree, the oak of Mora. Mora means seeing or appearance. It's the oak of seeing. 
means to see or to show or to make visible. So Abram finally obeys and he goes on this journey, he goes on this trek with all of his people, his clan, his stuff. He ends up with this tree, at the tree of showing, the tree of seeing. And then in verse seven, it says that the Lord appeared to Abram and God showed himself. God made himself known. And we get all sorts of holy activity that begins to happen here in this place. And there's a mountain and an altar and a tent Bethel means the house of God, and there's all this symbolism in this land with a new land and a new family, worshiping, calling on the name of the Lord, and they experience the presence and the promise of God. And God makes himself known there. God makes himself seen there. God calls him out of the land, calls him out of idolatry, and now he comes to the oak of seeing, and he sees God, and he engages God, and he enjoys God, and he worships God, and he walks with God. That's what God desires for all of us, where he can show himself to us. We can enjoy his presence, his promises, a willingness to say to the God who speaks, I believe you, I will listen and obey you, that I may be with you. So a question as we end our time today, what's God saying to you? And maybe this is new to you. You're like, I don't know. I don't know who this God is. I invite you to discover who he is. The Bible tells us that this God is made visible in Jesus. He makes the Father known. What is he saying? Maybe some of you are like, I actually know what he's been saying. Are we willing to listen and obey? Where, where might we need to let go of our scheming and grasping and controlling to say, I actually believe that you actually will provide for me better than I can myself. And at the heart of the Abram story, how could we not be reminded again of the greater Abram who was to come. The one who does come from this family, his name was Jesus. Jesus, who heard the call of his father to go from heaven to earth. Jesus, who left his land of perfection, the perfect union of father, son, and spirit to take on human flesh. Jesus, who ended up taking on the curse that we may experience the full blessing of God. Jesus, through whom all families on heaven and earth are named and blessed, perfectly trusted, perfectly obeyed, so that even when we don't, we get to taste still and experience the Father's blessing by his grace. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for Abram and Sarai and Lot and their family thousands of years ago who by faith trusted you for blessing, trusted you for provision, trusted you for life. So God, we thank you that even again now in Olympia 2023, the same offer stands to give up our own way, to receive from you a better way a way of life, a way of grace, 
a way of the kingdom of heaven. So Lord, I pray uh, for those in the room, those watching online, for a willingness to wrestle with your voice. Maybe the places that you're challenging them in a good way. Or may we be people of obedience. May we be people who respond to your voice. And we thank you for Jesus, our hope, our Savior, our King. Lord, in this moment today and in the days to come, may we follow your lead and find the fullness of your life and blessing there with you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.